Uh, episode number eight of Down the Rabbit Hole Heavy Metal Baseball Concept Podcast, where we take uh, high-level baseball concepts and try and break them down. And as a change of pace today, we're going to talk high-level baseball field care uh, with Nicole Sherry. Nicole, how are you doing today? Doing great. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for being on. Yeah, we, I think this is going to be our uh, most useful podcast because uh, a lot of college coaches and almost every high school coach that I know has to take care of their own field. Right. So you Such are a challenge. The, <laughs> so you are the head groundskeeper for the Baltimore Orioles, correct? Yes, I am. It's been fun. Well, give us uh, give us your bio, give us your career. Tell us how. Ah. Well, I don't want to like, talk about myself too much, but I will. Um, so this is my 18th season in professional baseball. I started out with the Orioles as an intern and then turned in a, turned it into an assistant position. And then I grinded it out with my time in the minor leagues, which was, um, I think, the most relatable that I'll have with the coaches and fans that listen to this podcast today. Because in the minor leagues, like you're by yourself doing everything. So that's where I really got the gist of the job and um, it prevailed me to this level as head groundskeeper for the Orioles. And I started in 2007 here. Well, it kind of an interesting, I, I tell Robert all the time that it, uh, it kind of appears that every daddy who's ever owned a baseball cap uh, believes in his heart that he's a baseball coach. That's right. It doubles down because I follow every Yahoo with a palm leaf hat, me included, believes that we're some sort of lawn care expert. That's right. That's right. So, uh, you know, you just you just drive around a neighborhood and ask whoever's got a nice yard if they're an expert what they do. Yeah. We all say yes. Yes, we're all going to yeah. say yes. It's um, like me. I my, I have a little boy. He's eight, and I'll go to the baseball field, and I'll get coaches or you know dads that ask me questions on how to maintain it, and then I tell them, and they're like, "Oh yeah, I do that," and I'm like, "All right, then why are we talking about this?" Yeah. I, I had, there was a long time ago, I say a long time ago, uh, I think I still had hair. That's the kind of how I based it before <laughs> and after hair. But I was fortunate <laughs> to be a real high level hitting coach for, in the, in, it was a major league hitting coach at the time. And I was talking to him. He said something similar. He said 90% of people who approached him with a question really just wanted to tell them what he did. You know, right. Exactly. They never really were asking a question. They just said, I want to take what I do. Right. That is, oh my gosh, it's like every day. Well, how do I get lips out of my infield? And I'll tell them, it was like, oh yeah, we do that. We do that. I'm like, all right, well, good luck then. Yeah. <laughs> Clearly well, you're not doing it, so. <laughs> well, let, let's start with, uh, Robert and I are tech people. We're, we're, we're always looking for a tool to make our lives a little bit easier to take the uh, uh, the moron out of us, which is getting right. harder years ago. But basic tools, What what, what do we need to maintain a baseball field? You need water. Water is like the number one thing that you need for a field. And it, I feel like saying anything about irrigation or um, even like a quick coupler attachment or just something where you can hook up a hose to soak down the skin and the mound and plate is so intimidating to people. And, and I don't think it's a, um, and I'm just going off a generalized statement here because I know everybody's budgets are different, but it really, at the end of the day, the cost to put in something like that would, um, is really not that terrible for the product you get from it. You know, it's a return on investment type of thing. And I know that there are like, um, community leagues, little league fields, volunteer places that, you know, don't have a lot of funding, but if you can really focus any of the fundraising that you do or any of the extra money is allotted to maybe getting water access to even one premier field or one premier baseball or softball field or both, it's going to save so much um, work in the end because at the end of the day, that's what I always get approached with. How come it feels like we're playing on a beach? How come, you know, we can't keep um, the position areas on the infield skin at a, at a certain, you know, uh, hardness. And it's really because of lack of water. And especially with pitching. Pitching is huge, right? You have pitchers, they're a dime a dozen. So if you can really wet down that pitching surface or that clay area, the landing area, it's going to provide more stability for that kid that's playing. And 
Well, I'm, I'm again, I'm going to completely jump off script right about it. Go ahead. The former frustrated high school coach slash mm -hmm. and now following uh, my daughter around and watching and seeing all these places. Yeah. Does somebody keep their boxes from being dug out? How do they keep their mounds from completely falling apart? Uh, you, you go to a lot of high school fields and you'll see a six inch gap between the top of the rubber and the bottom. Right. Right. A tournament and, and your pitcher can't, he can't. He's off all day because he's the the free previous team have kind of worn a groove out in front of the mound, and right? And off in a hole that's just disrupting his timing. So, mm -hmm. you guys keep I mean, as, as much traffic as you guys see, uh, how do you how do you keep those boxes level? How do you keep those mounds level? Right, and I think the challenge for um, a lot of people in the audience that we're going to reach, there are tournaments or. Um, extended games that get played on those fields day in and day out, right? So like you have a Saturday and maybe a maintenance team takes care of the field during the week, but they're not working on Saturdays. And that's up to the coaches or volunteers that handle that. We, and I say the, the universal we or the royal we, that, um, uh, that we don't maintain the mounds the way they should be maintained. So after a game, they should be repacked. They should be watered. They should be, you know, back to whatever the specs of the league that you're playing on um, entails. And that's the most critical thing. That's why I shared in the beginning of this podcast that if you can get water access to your field, it's going to eliminate probably 75% of the problems that you will have. Like the mound work that you do, the batter's box areas that you do, and the infield position areas, like the sliding pit areas and where the infielders stand will be that much better with water access. And I know that's um, very difficult to get sometimes, but there should be ways that you can find water, at least to, to do your maintenance work, you know, after yeah. these tournaments. Is it, is, I remember uh, I was a high school coach for like 15 years. Uh, is that old school? I don't know if it's a myth or if it's true of, of getting like we would get a hard, a, a heavy piece of turf or a mat or something and like put it down on the mound to trap the moisture. Perfect. That's Perfect. A big, okay. Yeah. Okay. So like, oh man, we're gonna talk. I'm gonna talk, talk your ear off for like hours. But um, so uh, I'll get off on different tangents. But going back to and your name is again. Uh, Rob. Bald guy. Bald guy? <laughs> Jared. Yeah. yeah, Bald Jared. Now see. <laughs> I don't think I knew we're, we're going to broadcast. <laughs> we're just doing radio, right? As far as everybody knew, I was a young man, head full of hair and handsome. And uh, you just completely shattered that myth for our listeners. <laughs> you look great. I should have said the handsome guy, but I didn't want to offend Robert, you know. But. <laughs> that was the best part of my day. Right there. <laughs> no. Um, so to go back to your point, like you you got these kids out there and they're digging, right? So that comes from like the coaching mentality too, or what these kids see on TV every day. They're just, they got to dig that hole right in front of the rubber. And a rubber is only like four to six inches in, you know, it's, it's shape. So it's like they're digging it out and digging it out. And then, you know, their landing areas are different for every kid. You could have a kid that's like six foot at 12 years old and then a little peanut that's like five feet tall and they're landing in different areas. So um, mound maintenance and how to do it correctly at all levels is one of my future goals to like put out maybe a, a YouTube tutorial or, you know, get that out on how volunteers, coaches, you know, moms and dads can attend those fields and, and tend to those fields the proper way. And it all comes down to like having water and the right clay. And these are, well, the water is a little bit expensive. So funding or, you know, raising money or dedicating money to that would be a big thing, but finding the proper clay for your facility in the, in the big areas of the pitching mound and the home plate boxes is probably number two in my list of things to have better clay park like robert was saying like having a thick piece of old turf you could go to home depot and, and buy a, or don't put that on there a big box store and you know buy a, a heavy material visqueen that could like use as a tarp you don't have to spend so much money to get the same results and uh your go back cloud uh, what i do on my when i'm not hosting podcasts is i'm a dirt worker oh okay I've been in building in heavy, heavy civil construction. So I've played in dirt my entire life. Right. Your, 
I, it's, I think it's one of those things, different materials are called different things regionally. Correct. Um, you know, we have a material there we build roads with called caliche base. Okay. The thing, you know, exactly. I don't know if I say caliche base in Baltimore, if anyone has any idea what I'm talking about. So when you say clay. Yes. What kind of material are you referencing for these mounds in these high traffic areas? So it would vary dependent on what kind of play you have on these fields. So if it's a park and rec situation where you just have like Little League or Babe Ruth or, you know, the like, I would say it would be a more mixture of 100% clay. And when I say clay, I'm uh, the real clay, just clay, basically. 100% uh, clay mixed with silt and sand. It would come out of a bag more uh, moist than just regular clay and you would be able to like pack it in a lot easier and it'd be very easy for different regions to maintain. Now, if you're talking, you guys are in the South. So the South is a lot different climate. Like you hardly have a lot of uh, humidity in the air in some of those areas like Arizona, or I don't know if Texas is considered humid in some locations. Yeah, or in some places, yeah. Big enough some state. places, yes. Right, but there are certain clays that would be conducive for those regions. And um, I can send you a list if you wanted afterwards um, on oh, yeah. what recommendations. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I get it. There's, you know, that's a lot of the things like, again, like people will come up to me and say like, well, what's the best clay for, you know, a senior league Babe Ruth in Southern Maryland? And I'm like, well, that's such a generalized statement. I would need to actually look at your field. What how are you maintaining it? Do you have water access? What kind of infield dirt material are you using as of right now? Can you afford 100% uh, clay? That's what we use here in the big leagues. I mean, that, it's hard to dig that stuff out, but we have six foot 10 guys pitching off this mound with legs the size of tree trunks, you know? So we need something more solid for, um, you know, the events that take place here in a little league or collegiate or uh, high school type situations, you could get away with the lower end clay that is mixed with silt and sand, as long as it's packed correctly and water is added to it and tarped in some fashion, it would be that much better for these kids to pitch off of. And I mean, I, we're, we're not gonna stay on script. <laughs> no, that's fine. It's cause this is, <laughs> Yeah, this is still is, is I'm you know I'm still in the process of maintaining a field right now, right? And uh, done everything. I, I tell people I may be a decent coach now. Uh, that's because for twenty for ten or fifteen years I was a terrible coach. I just didn't know I was a terrible coach at the time. Okay. <laughs> and hopefully ten years from now I look back at ten years from now and say I was a terrible coach then. And same thing with the idea of keeping up a field. I, I've, I'm hopefully I'm getting better. Um, one of the things that I see is um, how do you guys avoid these rainouts that plague every other place, right? You know, you have, is it simply a material issue or is it a being able to build to drain issue? What is the biggest factor in you guys being able to avoid rainouts in a clip that every little league place gets a half inch of rain and they're calling off games? Right. So it all comes down to what uh, type of infield mix you choose for your location, right? If you have a rainy, rainy um, type environment, like say we have here in Baltimore, I would not recommend anybody to get more of a higher clay content in their um, infield mix. There are some mixes out there that are like um, uh, maybe 22% clay, which is like what we have on the field. Like we have a tarp crew that can like pull that tarp on and off in a moment's notice like you guys would never be able to play after a heavy rainfall with that kind of mix so that mix would be um determined by your region again uh what type of climate you have there what maybe historical data you have for that location how is it graded uh that's one other thing that would be um i'll go off on tangent tangents with that but like how is uh, it graded i'm ready for that is it great? Like, how is your field crowned? Is it crowned? Is it crowned at the pitcher's mound or is it crowned at third base and all your water sheets off to first base side? Like, those are factors that when I go to look at a field, I think about more than just what kind of um, infield dirt material you're going to use for that field. Like, is it maintained? 
Do you have lips? Are those lips like, is it running off the back and then stopping because you have a higher lip there and it's just sitting right on your infield? Everything should sheet off like it does on asphalt or any concrete situation that you see, you know? Um, so those are things that are, are, when you're going into those planning stages, um, you know, you need to, number one, have a qualified person that's going to do the grading or get your field rebuild to spec um, for that issue. Grading is probably one of the biggest things that will impede your drainage on your field. And are you looking to crown? So we'll, since we're talking grades, you and I now, right? Yeah. Sheet draining is taking the water from one location and just running across the rest of the field. Right. Yeah point in the field that the water falls from that high point in all different directions so right case in point is your stadium is it a sheet draining situation is it a crowd but there are multiple points to shed water right so for our uh, facility here at camden yards our field drains from third base side to right field it sheets off and, it, and it's uh, i mean it's almost perfectly graded right it's at a, a 0 0.5 a half percent grade um you know, that's not going to be normal in typical situations. I mean, it's professional level, but um, ours just uh, grades from third base side all the way back to right field where we have all of our drainage system. Now, a lot of people think that you're a major league. I have all these like bells and whistles. We're 20, we're 30 years old. So we don't have like the drainage capabilities underneath like a lot of these other newer ballparks have. We don't have a sub air system where it, um, can blow cool air into the soil or hot air. We just have your regular sand mix and some drainage tiles underneath. So it's crazy. So it is based off of really all great. And it, I mean, you can watch it like on days when we don't have games, we get a severe downpour that could dump an inch in an hour. And within two hours from that downpour, you could see how it all sheeted off from that just half percent grade. So, I guess what I would say is I would recommend, you know, the location needs to be spec'd, right? If you can have a crown, nobody wants a terrible crown, right? Because like, that's not how the game should be played. It's all 90% of the game is played on the infield. So you want to make sure those surfaces are crowned too much, but you want to make sure it sheets off in every direction for that facility. So it's not just pooling in one location, which could cause a lot of problems in the end. And, and how often do you guys have to revisit uh, regrading your, your park. Right. So if I can, and if we're in contention, I'll do it two times a year, one at the beginning of the season, which would be in March sometime allowing, uh, you know, we have crazy climate here where it could be cold or hot in March. And then the second time I'll do it if I, if it allows time on the schedule in July during the all-star break. And that's really, if we're in contention, like it, like, I shouldn't say like, cause like you plan a season as if you're going to be making it to the end, no matter what. Right. And I'm not disregarding that fight, but there's a certain point in time where you get to like, okay, I'll just wait and not have to grade it. And also it would be from, you know, experience, like how much rain have we had? Would we, um, have we been taking like that drying agent on, on and off the field too much? Are we, is a rote natural erosion, causing that infield to not be as a perfect grade, uh, those decisions come into play. So two times a year for sure, um, but I can get away with just one time in the beginning of the season if I needed to. Now for a, a complex like we're probably reaching today in that audience, I would hope that you could afford to do it with the proper materials or even you could do it by hand, which is, it's a little bit tedious and nobody wants to get into that, but it's not that hard at the end of the day. It's like string lines and, you know, getting down on the dirt, but you know, grinders got to grind, <laughs> you know, just like get out there and do it. Um, I would hope that you could do it once every few years just to keep that grade, because if you don't, you're just asking for a terrible mess in the future. If, you know, if it gets off grade, it's just going to cost you more in the end. I think it's one of those things, and you have, obviously it's your it's you it's enough to uh, for your profession that uh, yeah we we need to be working on our fields every day right there, there's something that needs to be attended to every day is that right. kind of what I'm hearing well I want to 
can't say every single day. I, I mean, yes, they do need to be maintained. You can't just let it sit for a week and then get back out there or have a whole weekend tournament of like 20 games and then expect it to be perfect, you know, the next time your kids go out and play. Like you have to do maintenance or maintain the really prime areas as often as you possibly can. And it's not just about bodies being out there moving stuff around. You have to really understand the method behind the madness. You know what I mean? And once you can grasp that, it's really not that hard. You know, you get to a point where you can do it simply. Um, there's a lot of maintenance techniques that I see people do. They just do it because they're copycatting it. They're not really understanding like how to do like dragging, right? Like that you can put anybody you want on a, a Sam Pro or a three wheeler or um, whatever those ATVs are with a drag behind it, but you can't just spin around so fast. You know, there's you're kicking all that dirt in the areas and causing erosion. Um, there's you have to go slow and steady wins the race, and then you would avoid your lip issue and you would avoid wearing out those um, already kind of eroded spots where your infielders slide and stance. I think that's a that's a huge topic. I mean, if you could go into more detail, yeah, like I'm, I'm what? Ready. Yeah, it's I was just you know, I mean, that's I could talk to you for hours about this because I really would love to see the masses um, own it a little bit. You know what I mean? And really understand the concept, and not just going to a big league field or a college field and seeing grounds crew work and then trying to mimic that. There's a lot more to it that's a little bit more detail oriented that will save you so much drama in the end. What's what's Slow the down. ideal way to drag? Because you were talking about dragging, and that's something that that I mean, we do every single day. Yeah, is it like should right. you, should you always go the same way, or should you mix it up? Well, you got to mix it up because like you have to imagine you have this big drag mat, right? Let's let's maybe just pretend that there is a ATV vehicle that has a drag on the back of it, or whatever tractor you know, a smaller tractor that has a drag. If you're constantly dragging in like a semi in a circle circular formation and you always start at first base because that's where the shed is where you can pull your tractor out and you end up at third base all that dirt eventually is just going to like move with natural erosion or uh, moving material to that third base side so now over time you're going to have a higher spot on third base side. You may not notice it, but you're going to notice it more when it rains or you have a big a rain event or um, you have a higher lip area in those locations because you're moving that material. Every time you drag, you're moving dirt to another location. So yes, are we talking about full skin infields? If that's the case, you can uh, imagine your full skin infield as a clock. Okay, and then one day or one week for a week or a couple days, I would drag in the pattern of 12 to 6. Okay, and then the next week or day, I'd go 3 to 9 or 1 to whatever, 7 or, you know, just mixing it up, starting and stopping in different faces of the clock, if that makes sense. Does that come off like it's yeah, making yeah. sense? Yeah. yeah. So, but if it's a grass infield, um, I would stay, definitely stay about six inches to a foot away from any grass surface. And I would do a perimeter drag where you're just working yourself in from first to third, like make, you know, drag in the whole entire field that way. And then going into the circles and you can start at first base one week, but then start at the up opposite side the following time you do it. And, um, or you could start at second and go to third and then go back to second and go over to first. Just mix it up is the gist of it. So, and, and what should we be using to drag? Is it, you see, uh, you see the uh, chain mail, you see. Uh, seen a bro, lot. You've seen a lot. Yeah. And, you know, you see, uh, mm -hmm. it almost seems that if you go to a nicer field, they always, they finish with cocoa mats or. or yeah. Right. So there's there's a lot of options for everybody out there. And, you know, if you had you could do a lot with what you have, like those chain link. Fence. I've seen people drag with chain link fence or the horror rakes with like, you know, the nails on it and then some kind of mat behind it. But, you know, it depends on um, your situation. We use uh, brooms to drag. We'll use these big wide brooms that are fairly cheap that like two guys can get out there and broom the infield with not much uh, disturbance from bringing a tractor 
figure out or some kind of vehicle with a chain mat. Um, we also use the cocoa drags and I like to use the cocoa drags after it rains or we watered the field heavily because you can go out there with the cocoa drag and not pull mud. You, get, you can't get out there with a chain drag or some kind of like metal drag. So I like to use those and we kind of like rig them up. We'll get like two small ones and like zip tie, well, string them together and knot them up and just, you know, pull them with the rope. I mean, we, I really wish you could see like this operation here. We, we do not, we are major league, but we take a lot of the equipment that we have and either make it our own, our own self or come up with creative ways to like not have to spend money. So that's why, like, that's another thing. Everybody's like, oh, well, you're major league. You probably have a baller budget. And I'm like, if you, if you could see our shop and like the things that we create just because it's easier for us to, you know, duplicate, it's, it's pretty impressive. But yeah, so different kinds of drags. I'm sorry. No, so that, 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 that's, that's, that's completely fascinating to me. Yeah. You know, I, I, there was an article in Sports Illustrated several years ago about the importance of the field crew. Yeah. And what field crews have done over the time. Uh, one example they gave, uh, and I may be misremembering this, I can't remember which team it was, uh, if their outfield was slow, they let the uh, alleys grow a little bit thicker. Right. But, you know, but if they're, you know, same thing, if, if you're, if this team, this is probably an older generation, you could probably maybe get away with more. If right. the team that hit a lot of hard ground balls, they would soften up the front of home plate. Yeah. Wouldn't go, go with four singles as often. And so you, but the value of it was to show them the value of a good grounds crew, they would issue uh, championship rings. Yeah. I hope to get that one day. Yeah. And, uh, but it's interesting that you're still, you're, you're out for, you're still on a dime budget, even though, uh, teams will tell you how important your job is to the organization. It's just because, oh my gosh, it really is. And like, so we had Zach Britton was our closer for a good while, and he's your classic ground ball pitcher. And then he was like, he was awesome when he played with us and i'm sure he's doing great wherever he is now um but we would soak that area we would flood it like almost dangerously where like i'm like the first batter out of the box i'd be like oh god like my i would not breathe for that first batter coming up because like you know if you can imagine what it looks like in front from the right at the beginning of the pitching plate we would have standing water on there standing water and then we would bring out like more of the calcine clay the, the stuff that you would throw out in rain situations um or you know wet puddled situations and put it over top of that so you wouldn't see the puddles it would just like look like it was wet but it was really just mud and that was all for zach so like whenever he was a ground ball pitcher and every time like just little bloops in the infield and we'd win the game so like that's what we would do for him, but there's a you know fine line between player safety and and yeah, doing that. Absolutely. So you have to be kind of skilled. But yeah, it just it's just fascinating to me that you guys are the you know the uh, home field advantage, home field advantage, right? And going right. To the ballpark is such a tremendous thing. But the the thing for me, and I'm sure for every kid and everybody, the thing about the ballpark that always strikes you is not the ballpark itself. Right. It's over and you see the field. Yeah, it's just the prettiest set of green grass you've ever seen. Oh my gosh, it's beautiful. Yeah. So yeah. there's a couple of really cool things we do here. So like the home field advantage does exist, right? Because like, you know, it's your home field. But like, it, as you were speaking to earlier, um, we can't really uh, tilt foul lines anymore. Like uh, teams would tilt the foul lines in on the base or tilt base pass. So like any batted balls would like roll they would never roll foul right mm -hmm. or tilt it the other way you know like a, a team was coming in that was so we don't we can't do that anymore because we're so regulated by mlb and there's cameras everywhere so like there it's you can't do it anymore but um we really hone in on our starting rotation and we'll uh really fix the field for that person so if it's like I said with Zach, um, he was our closer, but like we would definitely like soak the front of the mound. Uh, we've had pitchers that don't want any drop of water on the mound at all. Like they want it completely dry. And I don't even know how they pitch off of it because it's almost like 
um, stuff's blowing out everywhere, you know, after, and think about like how many innings this guy's pitching on a dry mound. Like it's probably just like, you know, what you were speaking to earlier, like just holes everywhere. But if there was any little bit of moisture on that field, he would come out the next day and say, I mean, it was just too wet. And I'm like, oh my God, like we haven't touched it for four days because you're our starting ace. You know what I mean? But um, so we'll do that. We also have uh, our foul lines in the grass areas are cut at a half an inch. And that is to allow, like if a, we have really tight corners here at Camden Yards and we're weird like angles. So like if a ball hits those foul lines in the, in the outfield, it will scoot into those corners a lot faster and we could probably get either a double or a triple out of it. So we do those little things to help. help yeah, no, it's, it's just fascinating, right? That, that yeah. thing, the thing that uh, I would say most of us don't think about, it, it's, it's, it's kind of like uh, an umpire, unless you guys are doing your job poorly. Right. Notice, right. They don't, don't, they'll only know your mess ups. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. I, I can remember, uh, if somebody in the Red Sox organization was complaining about the condition of their field at one point, you're right. And, you know, that's a, the only time you ever hear about a groundskeeper is if, unfortunately, if the field's not up to par. Right. Or if it's raining and you can't get the game played, then everything's our fault, too, because, you know, we we have control of the weather. <laughs> yeah, you don't have an acts of God clause. In, in... Right. <laughs> yeah, so, um, well, again, staying off. Uh, what is what y'all what is your seating schedule? I'm sorry. Your seating schedule. So okay, so we have. Yeah, sorry. That's another uh, great tool to have. If you guys are, you know, you have. I'm gonna assume either Bermuda or Zoysia grass fields that you play Bermuda, on. Bermuda is the is the thing here. Our our climate in Amarillo, Texas, is very. It's a temperate climate. We're in the trade winds. We get violent swings. Right. Um, you'll. Uh, you don't get you don't really get warm until goodness probably even even april and may you still may have snows uh it's not uncommon but you don't stay warm until about the time here we are here early june may but by that time the high school season's over right so are you playing on fields that are mostly overseeded with some kind of ryegrass well that's what i see i don't want to turn this into you know i i, I just i'm gonna be chastised and tell you what i've done that's not my understanding i just that's what we typically have to do to get green grass is right. right. Um, the minor league team here uh, stumbled across some Bermuda that they have that is far, that takes far less, yeah, less warmth. But even yep. then, uh, you can see them almost appear to be painting their field. Yeah. Season. So, got to walk right. through uh, seating schedules. I mean, like you said, a lot of big guys come through the park. And yeah. big guys, I've, I've had the privilege of coaching guys that are 6'8", 6'3", 6'4". They're hard on grass. Yes. Because every time, every time they start running, it appears they take off about three. They just take sod with them everywhere they go. Right. <laughs> right. Like, there's tufts of it, like, running through. I know. We got a couple horses out here that, you know, just throw their sides. And you're like, oh, my God, there's a pit. You know, I wish I could take you with me to show you, like, what it really looks good from a or it's like a 30 footer, you know, like you ever hear that term, like everything looks good from afar and then you're close up and you're like, Oh, <laughs> like, no, it's a, called a yeah. 30 footer. Yeah, so so, they, they're hard on it. And so, I mean, talk to us about seating and talk you. about keeping uh, grass, hair right. spots, and for me, even personally, hot spots. Right. Irrigation system seems to, no matter how well you irrigate, hot spots fall. So let's talk grass. Yeah. So in your situation, you have Bermuda grass fields or warm season climate down there where your your grasses are more conducive for that environment. So but then you have high school sports schedules that, you know, occur in the colder months. Right. Same with um, a lot around here or colleges or universities. They start up in February, which is tough to grow grass because things are mostly dormant or you're not getting the Bermuda experience like you would in the summertime. Um, so overseeding, I would start in the fall as soon as the night temperatures start cooling off. And when your soil temperatures start going back down to um, maybe in the, the 80s or 70s, I don't know what your soil temperatures get up to in Amarillo, but some parts of Texas, they could be fairly high 
that are conducive for that Bermuda grass. So when you're overseeding with the cooler season grass, whether it be ryegrass, bluegrass, uh, fescues even, they need cooler temperatures in order to germinate. So I would keep an eye on the night temperatures and the soil temperatures more than anything, you know, for those types of grasses. If it were me here in Baltimore, which is a transition zone where we could go either Bermuda or bluegrass, I would definitely start overseeding our field in September when the night temperatures, it could still be hot during the day, but the night temperatures are getting into the 70s and the 60s and the soil temperature itself is getting down into the, the, the low 70s and even into the 60s. The grass seed seems to love that more than anything for cool season grasses. Now, Bermuda, you don't typically overseed. You would either sod or sprig it. Um, if you were looking for just warm season turf only, you could maybe sprig it in the summertime if you have like a lull in play and then hopefully it will take off enough with that uh, southern heat as fast as possible. But um, for overseeding uh, situations, definitely in September in the spring. And I say or, or September in the early, late summer, early fall, only because if you try to seed it March, even February, if your temperatures are good for that, um, by the time you get it to come up and germinate, you have so much play on it that it's not going to have a chance to thrive, right? So like maybe your season's starting to wind down in September, October, maybe you have a break a little bit, uh, November and December, a break, um, that that grass has a chance to get to a stage where it can like survive a lot of cleat action in the spring. If you seed it in the spring and then you have a lot of cleat action out there or a lot of play out there, or a lot of traffic, it's it's not going to like be as strong as you need it to to get you through those uh, important games or those months where you have a lot of tournament play or play in general. So does that make guys, sense? Yeah, no, it does. So if you guys make it to November, you're excited, but you're also chewing your nails off because you've missed some prime seeding time. Yeah, exactly. Because, well, you know, we can get screwed a lot of times, like in October, even we could have, you know, the hottest September. And then all of a sudden in October, it starts to snow and it's 40 degrees. But the one good thing about seed is like, don't be afraid to put it down because it's not like going to like, um, it's not going to, some of it will blow away and carry away and may not germinate. But anytime you can like, you know, push seed or like throw it in, like maybe wear areas or, um, you know, you have a availability to do that, I would throw it out. Like we've been throwing seed out in these, like in those pitcher side areas almost every other day, hoping that like, you know, some will germinate for us. Even though it's not the proper time to seed right now, we're hoping that seed sticks around until it is the proper time for it to come up. So we're, it's called seed banking. Like you're just banking seed. If you have seed, and get good quality seed. That's the biggest misconception too, that like you're going to your normal big box store and buying a $80 bag of seed that's like this big, why? Go to these farm stores or go to like more of a, um, a, a farm type or agricultural type supply store, get quality seed, everything's on the label because a lot of seed can be, can have filler in it, which is gonna produce weeds and weeds take over faster than grass does. Well, and oh. I, I learned that, I learned <laughs> that lot. by accident. So I walked into a local greenhouse. I saw they were selling seed, non-name non brand seed. Right. You know, talked to the owner there who happened to be an older gentleman. I got a history on what will grow and not grow in this region. What is, and he had a blend. This is just from my own house. He said, what you want is this blend. Right. And I paid, uh, you know, more than I would a big box, but right. that, that was the best grass I ever grew. But I better got. qualities, better qualities. And I'm not saying like the big box stores or any stores right. that people utilize don't have good quality seed, but you know, um, there's, there's a, a blend is definitely a lot better than just getting one brand of seed. Like if I say to you, um, just put ryegrass out. Yes, but you have Bermuda base, right? So that ryegrass is just really a cover crop for that Bermuda until it starts growing. Um, for us, we have Kentucky bluegrass. It's one monoculture. It's just one variety of bluegrass. Well, one species 
which is the blue, but it has four different varieties that withstand heat, disease, drought, uh, and wear and tear for these athletes. So four different varieties. If I'm at home, I'm not going to just put ryegrass in my yard because one hot, humid night, that stuff's dead with fungus, you know? So I'm going to put a variety down. I'm going to put ryegrass, maybe some fescue, maybe some bluegrass, because if that ryegrass dies, that fescue and that bluegrass are going to like survive. And then I can overseed. And that's how you start a better field. Like a lot of, like major league quality fields are one culture of grass just because we're here every single day. You guys would be really, it'd be tough to, to manage that where you are no, or no. in other situations. That's, so variety that's, is good. That's, that I'm is good. So just from the idea of, you know, creeping factor. Mm-hmm. Grass is a creep to cover up after an athlete has torn up an area or, you know, right. you know, what we'll do is we have to, we, we can only afford or have time to spray weeds once or twice a year. Right. You got to come out and he treats your field for weeds. And then when he leaves three weeks later, all those nice green areas are now dead because, because from 30 foot away look great, but they were just huge weed banks. Right. Right. So what for the, for the, uh, for the coach out there, he's got, he's got to get areas to creep to grow. Right. What grasses uh, do you guys, or do you see that you're using that? that? I know we're using that, that Kentucky blue. So I'm assuming that's a good creeping grass. No, Kentucky bluegrass grows its roots straight down and it's some rhizome. So it will kind of fill in, but not like Bermuda. So it's, it's really, it comes back to the maintenance factor and getting good quality advice from people that understand some sort of grass and, um, you know, grass, I can't think of the, like, is maybe like a turf grass extension agent in your area provided by the state of, you know, your state location. But the creeping grasses like a bent grass or um, the warm seed or not bent grass, uh, Bermuda grass or grasses like um, that are suited for a warm season climate, they need to be beat up a little bit. And I say that like lightly. So if you can't have a person come out and spray your weeds and you have all these dead spots, you either need to put some grass in, like cut some Bermuda from another location and plug it into that area that is a, a bald area, right? Or you need to start verticutting, which is cutting that Bermuda grass lays like a carpet, like, like flat, right? You need to cut those rhizomes off with like some really hard blades. Like it's called verticutting. It's a machine that actually will like, you know, razor cut these uh, rise uh, these creeping rhizomes and it will stimulate growth to like hurry up and push into those like bare areas like it will creep a lot faster i i, I don't know how to speak it <laughs> i know what i want i would do if i was there and i saw that but like you could take bermuda from like maybe like that's growing into your warning track have you ever seen that like the bermuda really just takes off into those warning tracks you go through and you edge that out. You take all those clippings and those like, like debris that you had and throw them into your bare spots and they'll grow. Huh. That's, well, that's well, here I am. Yeah. Yeah. It will take a little bit, but you want to like work it in there. Like, I mean, Bermuda in the right conditions will take off like nothing. You see it in your warning track areas. Anytime you edge and you can rake out all that extra, you know, trash debris, like your track mix or whatever, and just save those rhizomes start like take a like a um a screwdriver and plug them into like some of the areas and let it just go water it but that, that was that was did you guys water. freeze up did uh, i freeze up briefly but you're good now oh. uh, that, that okay. was you did you get like those yeah that was a million dollar tip i'm telling you that was that I is, mean, don't waste it yeah yeah no, less less is more and that's what i'm saying like so we have uh the ravens next door to us and they are bermuda grass which is crazy because like you know we have bluegrass they have bermuda but you can imagine on a, a fine high-end football field like how that bermuda creeps into different areas where you don't want it to go uh they'll go around in the edge and get we'll get i'll get trash bags of like the bermuda rhizomes and just take them home and throw them in my yard just hoping that like i can have a bermuda Raven's yard, but it will grow. You know what I mean? So like 
just bank that, you know, bank your seed. And if you're in a prime growing summer months and you had that guy come out or a person come out and now you have these bald spots in certain locations, take a hard rake, an iron rake or whatever you want to use, a, even like a little hoe or, or something, scratch that area up and bury those rhizomes and hopefully stuff will like start popping for you. No, I know you're that's that was and not that much work or effort, right? I mean, it's a pain in the butt, but like, don't just throw that stuff out, you know, like you utilize it, clean out all the debris, like the morning track stuff. And, you know, you know, that's just a mess, but um, yeah, utilize that stuff or throw them in front of the dugout. But the biggest thing is, is like a lot of people think that you should just chicken feed seed or like you know it needs to have contact with some kind of soil or the bermuda rhizomes or whatever warm season grass that you have the things need contact with the soil in order to flourish and grow so no matter what you do you got that position area out there in right field where that kid just like kills that one spot or is like kicking that one spot or a spot gets used all the time that is bare break it up in some kind of aspect either take a spade shovel a hard hoe, um, an iron rake, something, or maybe even like a little uh, tiller that you rented from a big box store, wherever you get your rental equipment from for cheap 50 bucks for the whole week. Till up those areas, get them level, throw that seed and that, or those rhizomes in those locations, water it, hopefully even a little backpack sprayer just full of water. That's cheap. I mean, there are so many so many little tricks and tips that you can do where you don't have to waste a lot of your raised raised money or funded money from like parents and and other ways you know save that stuff for getting water to your field or just one water line to your field uh we're moving on with with some other okay. great, great, <laughs> great stuff no, uh, I, I'm gonna... I, have, I have a lot of time so please don't <laughs> as long as you do i don't yeah, yeah so moving on to number three our third question um what in your opinion um what do you think is the one of the some of the biggest mistakes made by coaches when they're trying to maintain a field the lips the I, the, well, the mounds are not well, we already talked enough about the mounds so i mean i i get that but but like um, the lips, there is you, like I mean, it's inevitable that lips occur. And um, go ahead, Robert. I'll just say how do you how do you properly maintain or get rid of a lip? Right. So the, the the cause of it needs to be understood before you can fix it. Right. So a lot of it is by poor maintenance practices. And this isn't a knock on anybody that helps out or tries to volunteer and maintain a field or the the workers that may be doing it for their their livelihood it's not a knock on anybody at all it's just that like i said with the drag situations like i see coaches i have my little boy plays and i'll watch these coaches get out there and run out there with their uh you know drags and just going so fast and the drags are flopping like this they should be really slow you shouldn't have any kind of bump to it because you're dropping soil every time you do that or they'll get close to the edge and it's that's the biggest thing it's like they're either raking real fast where they're moving material into these edges, which will cause lips um, too fast or um, dragging so close to the edges where it's like when they're not seeing it. But when they're swinging around or going past it, that dirt is getting into the edges. Um, you know, it's going to happen naturally. We get lips here anyway with either wind or, you know, rainwater just moving material back into those areas. But um, if you can do your part, the maintenance person's part of staying away from those edges as much as possible, it's going to be that much more less maintenance for you in the future to just accommodate the natural uh, lip buildup. And the way to eradicate lips, and this is... Um, there, it's it's maybe like a threefold story, but you either save the money and resod every lip, like every dirt edge, you know, resod, and you can do that by yourself. You rent a sod cutter and just cut out, you know, the sod around every dirt area that you see, just one strip, and replace it. Or you can take a hard rake. I call them an iron rake if you want to look it up and like, it's just a, a rock rake is what they call them and maybe your profession, but uh, just an iron rake and make sure the teeth 
are very grinded down almost to like a, a, a they're not dull right they're they have some kind of point to it and rip through go about god i wish you guys were like here i would show you but um well, you coming. have your graphs i just want you to know you are i'm 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 coming to baltimore now I wish we didn't have a get like they're taking BP now, but like if you would take um, take you out there with my computer and like show you. But here's the grass edge. Here's your dirt. Take that iron rake and go about six inches into that grass on that infield, and you got to you know this is where you're gonna get like a stomach workout. But you gotta like rip through that that edge, right? It's gonna look like a mess, like you're messing it up. A lot of like grass is gonna come out. A lot of debris is gonna fly out with that. You take it on an angle and work from first to second and then second to third base and just ripping it at a diagonal. And then you come back from third base and work your way over to first in the opposite direction. And then you take a, either a tire from like a heavier piece of equipment that you have, or um, if you're fortunate enough to have some kind of drum roller or a, a half ton roller or a ton roller, you can roll those edges back down. It's not gonna be perfect, but it will, knock out that little lip, you know, in from the transition of the grass to the dirt. Um, also, it's a, also, a hmm, I don't want to go too crazy with this because I'll go off on different things, but also, you get to go wherever you want to go. I know it's like ugh, so much, but it's also that like, it's a base running area, right? It's your base path from first to second base. So you have to treat it as if like every time those kids are hoofing it to second base, dirt's chewing you know what i mean it's getting chewed up and like you have to repair that so what may look like a lip to you may just be like a lower dirt area so that's that's where it needs to be like maybe a little bit hand dragged in those spots or like use a, the back of a rake or a shovel in those like close to the edges so you can really see if it's a lip or is it just low in dirt i always see people that think that they have lips but they don't accept it so they put more dirt on their infield so now you have like really like it's built up where it's like the around the mound is like the true grade right of your grass around the mound grass is your true grade and then you have these really high lips but they're not really lips it's just looking like it is because you built the dirt up on your infield surface so much more so it's it's really sight you have to be there to see it but um Again, taking a hard rake with like some teeth on it that are sharp. Uh, I call it a iron rake. If you want to just Google search that to everybody out there or search it, whatever, it should pop up. It's an iron rake. Um, you can do that issue or that method. Or also they make edgers where it had, drops an arm. It's almost like an L-shaped edger where like you're edging it, but it will lift up that little bit of uh, infield grass and you can pull out the material that is built up and then flatten it back down. If you don't want to go the sod way or um, the iron rake way. But lips are, are probably the biggest pain in the ass for any groundskeeper at any level. They happen and whatever you can do to reduce the amount of dirt getting in those edges will be helpful, but they, they eventually will pop up. So that's so different. Uh, so my first year in college, I was a uh, uh, work study for the baseball team. Yeah. The college coach would make us sit there with the hose and just blast out the lip with the hose. That's an option too. So that that's an option, but I don't, I don't like to, uh, you know, you're reaching masses in different locations. So like for us here in Baltimore, it's, um, tomorrow's going to be 90 degrees, right? So if I was to go out there with a hose and blast the edges to move that dirt out of those edges, I would hurt the crown of grass so much it would bleach out that grass and kill it. So it really is depending on what kind of grass species you have. So you have Bermuda grass, it loves the heat. So no matter what you do to it, that it's thriving in the heat. So you could get out there with a hose and blow out those edges. Um, at the end of every game, we take a broom and it's just like your normal kitchen broom that your mom uses, or maybe a softer bristle broom and sweep dirt away from the edges about six inches. And that helps a lot too. And it will, we'll pull out some of that stuff. 
Um, but again, I have bluegrass, which stands straight up. You have Bermuda, which is really tight. So it might be hard to get that broom into that, you know, first four inches of that grass. So using a backpack blower could help, you know, get in like real close. Sometimes I make my guys go out there and use a shop vac and vacuum out the, the edges, you know, so it doesn't build up lips. But it, it's all depending on if you have a long enough extension cord and uh, somebody that wants to sit there with a, a shop back all day or a backpack blower or a hose or, you know, it's different. There are a lot of tips that you can do to get edges out or the, the lips reduced. But the biggest thing that will save you is like taking, taking any kind of maintenance action at least a foot away from every edge of grass. Be more, be more proactive and less reactive. Yes. Yes. And really understanding what a lip is, you know, you have like a lot of people that maybe help volunteer that, of course, like we talked about earlier, have, you know, they're never played the game, so they don't really know what a lip is. So they're assuming it is a, a low spot on the dirt or a high spot, you know, they really don't understand what a lip is. But a lip is really when a lot of dirt or soil material has blown into those edges and caused the transition from dirt to grass to be higher in one spot. And there's a uh, growing up doing dirt work. Like I said, uh, one of the things that stuck with me was having an old timer tell me, and I think this is applicable to baseball fields because before you go and change a grade, you better look a mile down the road. Exactly. And that's what a lot of people think, oh, well, we need a new field or it's going to cost, you know, 10,000 to resod this infield. I'm like, you don't have to resod your, your infield's good. Your edges are what needs to be resodded. And that's just that every, every year or every other year, we just resod the just one strip around every dirt area. You know, the grass that's a, that butts up to the dirt, we'll resod that. But we won't take the whole field out. We'll have a field hopefully for 10 years. I mean, if you can save, and a lot of guys and, and women, you know, and professional, like they'll get a new field every three years. I'm going on, you know, six or seven here. Like there's ways you can make it last and like reduce your budget and, you know, come up with craftier ways than to just assume and, and definitely look at the big picture before like you, whatever, whatever metaphor you just used was perfect. So you should say that again. <laughs> You're going to change grade, look a mile down the road. The, mm -hmm. there's, we're in it. We're, we're right. We're getting close to, uh, what Robert's attention span can handle. Um, oh, okay. but, uh, <laughs> And, and this may end up us calling you back because this, this has been a lot of fun. Um, yeah, anytime. One of the things that we want to, you know, talk about is what advice would you give to somebody who is trying to get into the field that you're currently in? No, oh, awesome. Like if you have a love for sports or you want to be outside, like I, I always wanted to be an ag major because um, I love being outside. I didn't want to be behind a desk. Uh we would definitely love to offer, like you can go to a community college and study horticulture, plant science. Um, you know, if you don't wanna go the whole college four year route, turf grass science, there are a lot of uh, community college that offer that type of um, industry. So, and people that have been in sports and wanna stay in sports or wanna stay in the game and have a love and passion for the game itself, whether it's football, lacrosse, uh, baseball, you know, you can do jobs like this and be around that sport and still contribute to the team atmosphere. So um, agricultural agriculture is like the main name of it. And then it's a subgrade of agriculture, which is turf grass science and um, turf maintenance or golf course maintenance um, that also has a sector for sports turf. So that could it could be anything really and just in plant science itself and soil science and just knowing the game and loving the game and and not afraid to put in a little physical hard work too because that's that's 90 percent of it is learning hands-on on the job rather than just from your schooling that's that's awesome i was yeah. i was kind of curious I, or maybe to share or ask uh some of your horror stories that you may have seen uh, i played i played in rural <laughs> i played baseball in rural new mexico uh, so like I've literally played on scraped caliche pits and I watched people pull the drag from right field behind a truck and uh, drag field. One of the fields I played yep. on 
It was our home field. They got the dirt from the city dump. And the umpire showed up one day and pulled about three feet of barbed wire out of the out of the dirt and some casings and glass and condemned the field for about two weeks. Uh, so yeah, that's, those are some of the things. Obviously, I'm just curious if you have any horror stories or things that you've witnessed. I mean, I, I mean, I've had a lot of horrors, horrifying things happen to me, like trying to be a head groundskeeper. But uh, I haven't seen anything like that. I think the worst has been. Um, the fields that are uh, put on top of uh, landfills and like the stuff that bubbles up over time, like just the trash that comes out of it or like uh, uh, big, huge rocks that just, you know, work their way up to the surface, but nothing like you've, you've experienced. I haven't really seen. So I don't know. That's crazy. Yeah. we just I've, you, you, you haven't lived until you've come and had to maintain fields in, in rural New Mexico. I, uh, <laughs> yeah. Three years, I put a our my the school that I was at wouldn't buy us a lawnmower, so I had to fold up my lawnmower and put it in the back of my little Saturn and drive it. <laughs> and I would cut the grass two times a week and then spray it out and then put it in the back of my Saturn and drive it back home. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that what you did for the love of the game, right? And think about it, like that's that's the gist of this conversation. Like you can do so much with so less if you really want to, you know, complete it. So. Well, if, you, if you you guys get real tight on budget, the last one of the places I played in high school, uh, their their lawnmowers were cattle. Yeah. <laughs> in between games and practices, they would let cattle on to their outfield. Uh, yeah. Maintaining it, so you, you had to deal with the cattle leave behind. So uh, yeah. Downplay, but yeah, that was that was their method of uh, field maintenance was let the cattle take care of it. Get get yourself some sheep or some goats or whatever to like trim that that outfield grass. Like I mean, people have done it. Like people have done it. It's it's in the history of like grounds maintenance too. Like put letting sheep go at Memorial Stadium, which was our first ballpark in Baltimore, like out in the outfield. So. Um, yeah, there's a lot that you can do for less is kind of like my goal. If you, like I said earlier, cause I don't want to, your attention span to get too much <laughs> Robert, but um, if you can provide some sort of cover for your mound and your plate areas that are more clay uh, or get you, you know, that you want to try to protect to get that game in um, some sort of cover for that. If you can afford it, like if you can scrimp all year long on the other things, your maintenance stuff, um, to save money for water access. And I'm not saying a full field irrigation, maybe just the water line that's run to like, just really water down your infield skin or your mountain plate, number one, um, you could do that. And then number two, uh, the last thing to take away from this would be your dragging methods. Like we talked about, go, you know, slow it down. It's, it's not a, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. You know, you'll save so much in the maintenance issues that you probably a lot of these people listening probably face in the lips and um, in low spots, a, a lot of that stuff. But all, and also my last thing that I would share without, you know, just off the cuff is that first base position area is so high trafficked that you can't ignore it. You know, you got a base runner leading off. You got, you know, the first baseman coming and going from there all the time that area will eventually cause a little bit of swale. So after your heavy downpours or your rain events, you'll see where your low areas are. And they're mostly in areas where these kids slide or stand, or there's a lot of traffic. Those need to be filled back it, back in and tamped or rolled um, to keep your grade and, and to keep those areas from being complete beaches. That's good to know. Yeah. First like base is the worst. More yeah. about field maintenance in this, you know, what, 55 minute conversation that I had in the entire yeah, 15 years of coaching high school baseball. Oh, come on. <laughs> this, this, this <laughs> to, uh, uh, I felt I was pretty confident in what I did about a baseball field. And uh, now we need probably have episode two so I can just keep asking more questions because a lot of times when I was asking yeah. about what we should do, was all this, you said, don't do. I'm like, oh, no, I did all that. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I'll be like, yeah, I did all that. But now <laughs> I get it. Um, yeah. But anything else you guys want to know or, or have questions about, or if we could do maybe a live event at some time, I mean, your faces are great for, for uh, YouTube yeah. or something like that. I, I would love, I would love to have some kind of like tutorial like that for everybody. 
That's probably a fantastic idea. I, I, I can't. And, yeah. Uh, and if, I'm trying my best. It's hard for me to find time to do it. I mean, it's sort of like work life balance type thing, but like, and I mean, I, I like talking to people, especially about this stuff and about saving on a budget and, and, you know, take away the major league stuff. We're all doing the same work, you know what I mean? And, and, that would be my goal to show everybody how to do it. Like it might not be major league quality, but it's going to be damn near, near close to it, you know, and, and doing it the right way rather than just, like I said earlier, like watching these people work on high end fields and trying to mimic that at your own field and not understanding the full concept. Now there, there's something that we need to correspond in the future because this has been a a lot of fun. Yeah. Come on up. I gotta fly to Baltimore and go to work for a few weeks. I'm okay with it. But Nicole, thank you. Yeah, so, come on over. Thank you so much for for talking to us, and uh, I can't wait to do it again. Yeah, and any questions that you get or any feedback, like hit me up. Good, to, good to talk about it. Any any further for you? Right. And thank really you. nice to meet you, Robert. Nice to meet you too.